Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. So I confess that this is a very strange day for me. I have been at St. Martin's for almost nine years. So while I am excited about the plans that I think God has for Stephen and I, I also have the hard task of saying goodbye to you, the members of this church, who we have come to love and cherish. As I said in the letter that went out to the parish back in March, I am very grateful for the opportunity I have had to serve here as long as I have, for your welcome, your hospitality, and for your grace as this English gal who talks too fast has become accustomed to Tex-Mex and can now identify the difference between Tex-Mex and Mex-Mex. There's a goal for you, Jane. (laughs) Um, Learned to love iced tea rather than hot tea and discovered how to navigate the chaos of the 610 West Loop. It has been a blessing in so many ways to be in community with you and to grow in Christ together. Along with you, I am grateful to Russ, Marty, the clergy and staff of St. Martin's for their friendship, leadership, service and commitment to the furthering of God's kingdom in and through this place. As with so many things, I will only learn the true extent of how being here has shaped me by venturing on to the next thing. It is also a special day for me as I was actually ordained a priest on Mother's Day in 2015, right here in this church. So it feels rather fitting that my last time in this pulpit should be on its anniversary. And it's a special day for many just because it's Mother's Day. For many of us, that means a day of thanksgiving and fun and celebration, an outpouring of love on the one who birthed us or raised us or both. For others, it comes with tinges of complicated and perhaps contradictory feelings for many different reasons relating to motherhood. But despite it being Mother's Day, my last day here and the anniversary of my ordination It is first and foremost the Lord's Day. Whenever I have preached, I have tried to choose the lesson in the lectionary that I have yet to preach on. Either the more difficult text or the passage from a book I haven't read in a while or maybe avoided. So as today is primarily the Lord's Day, I'm going to continue in that very same vein, despite the other reasons we might have to be worshipping together this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word and open up your scriptures, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might speak. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a high school teacher, I had a a deputy head come and talk to me. And she, uh, she said that when it comes to teaching, you have to imagine that you have three buttons on your forearm. Teenagers, she said, have an innate ability to find those buttons and to press them. As a teacher, 
I needed to be aware of their presence when they were pressed on so as not to lose control. One button is okay, two button is a little frosty, three, who knows what's going to happen at that point. Sometimes when a student pushes back, acts out and rebels, they can really get under your skin. And her advice proved wise. It's easy to be loving and gentle and kind in a vacuum, or when things are going well. But when people are involved, and those people press our buttons, we can find the tank runs dry. We get irritated or impatient or full of emotion and drama. We react. The famous Christian writer Brennan Manning said this of our humanity. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said, I am a rational animal. I say, I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. He was a recovering alcoholic, just to give context there. We have buttons. We are paradoxes. And yet, as bearers of the gospel, the body of Christ in the world, we are called to live lives that reflect Christ's sacrificial love. Not just love for those that we naturally are want to love, our friends, our family, but love those who are difficult to love, those who test our patience, those who push our buttons and wind us up, those who set themselves against us. We are called to love others sacrificially, turning the other cheek, laying down our egos, our self-righteousness, our preferences, as we follow Christ and do as he calls us to do. Most of the time, First Peter tells us, that is going to actually be a good thing for those around us. Most of the time, that will bring reward. Who will harm us? if we are eager to do what is good. But what if, as we pursue the good, the holy, the courageous, what if we get resistance, pushback, dishonor, reproach? What are we to do when pursuing the good gets us into trouble, when it results in gossip or people assuming the worst about us, even from those we love and respect? What do we do if the scenario actually did come about where we were to experience bullying or even abuse? If our love is rooted in ourselves and our own natural resources, that is the moment that we might find all three buttons pressed, where we lash out and attack, or where we recoil and withdraw and put up walls or where we cry out in indignation and lament how terribly we've been wronged. Underlying our natural responses, be they fight or flight, silence or violence, is a common cause, a very human motivation. Fear. And how crippling fear 
can be. So often, we fear others, the harm they may be able to do to us, physically or materially. We might fear bodily harm or injury. Perhaps we fear those who could financially ruin us. But it might also be about the security of our relationships. Someone might leave us. They might tell stories about who we are or slander and misrepresent us. Perhaps it runs even deeper. Maybe we fear others because if any of those things actually happened, maybe that would confirm. Maybe it would be the nail in the coffin that proves to us we are as woeful, weak, shameful, and undeserving as we secretly believe that we are. Yet First Peter says this about doing good that might bring about harm. It says, do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. This verse draws from Isaiah chapter 8, in which the people of God are told, when full of fear at the threat of a foreign power who is looming large, Isaiah says, do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Do not fear what others fear. Sanctify Christ. Fear Christ. Our natural human reaction is to resort to one kind of defense or another, some form of self-protection and validation that will keep us safe from harm. But First Peter tells us that as Christians, we are to switch out our fears. We are to trade them in. So to the cross, we bring our fear of others, our fear of rejection, of hatred, of physical harm, death, alienation, shame, you name it. And we lay them at his feet. These fears are not ours to keep anymore. And in their place, we are to fear just one thing, just one being, God, as revealed in Jesus Christ. And of course, the fears that we're trading in are not quite like the fear that we take on in return. For in Christ, we have a God who has made a way for us to draw near, a God who has deigned to help reconcile us back to him when there was nothing we could do to free ourselves from our chains. He knows our secrets and acted anyway. In Christ, we have a God who accepts, accepts us even knowing the fullness of our mistakes and our shortcomings, where we are broken and weak need where we have failed, where we have lived half-lives, where we have had hardened hearts, where we have chased after idols. Fear of others or fear of God in Christ? Another way that you can imagine this is to ask yourself the question, if my life is a stage, who is my audience? My spouse? My boss, my neighbors, my parents, my colleagues, my friends? Am I playing for laughs 
or for their approval, their support, their positive reviews? Or is my audience God himself and God alone? The difference being that with God as my audience, I have his spirit within me who shares the stage and shows me where to go and how to live. All I am to do is to listen, submit, and respond. Fear of others or fear of God. Do not be intimidated, 1 Peter says, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. In your heart, let there be only one audience, the audience of God in Christ. Follow him and him alone. Fear of God is about faith. For it takes faith not to engage when others want to fight or are pushing for a reaction. It takes faith to remain tender-hearted and forgiving when others slander us for pursuing God's will. It takes faith to humbly respond when asked about what we believe and why, and to do so generously and gently. And it takes faith to maintain a good conscience, to keep doing the right thing, even when pressed. Without effort, our consciences will remain dulled. When we run from ourselves, hide behind denial or convenience, when we are driven by fears of many rather than the fear of the one, that little voice of conscience goes dormant. Like muscle wastage, when you've been sick a while, our conscience can all but disappear. But as with regular exercise, through which our physical strength can be regained and our fitness built, so with regular spiritual exercise, our conscience can re-emerge and be sharpened once more, where we discover integrity of action, where our outside matches our inside, where we are no longer living divided and shame-filled lives, where we dare to start doing right by God. Maintain a good conscience. Be in the habit of listening for God's voice, the quiet nudge, the uncomfortable thought, and do that. Obey, follow, take a risk. Don't confuse, as many do, adrenaline for conscience. Conscience is not about the surge of energy that comes when we feel indignant or reactive. Conscience finds its voice in still and deep waters, not turbulent waves that are crashing down violently upon the rocks. Conscience speaks with quiet conviction about the right action we should be taking. It does not fixate on the actions of others. Work to maintain a good conscience so that when the moment of truth comes, we might find the strength that Martin Luther had so much of during the European Reformation. When he was pressed by religious officials to recant from his loud and outspoken criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church, 
He's famously reported as having replied, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and I will not recant because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Verse 17 of 1 Peter 3 says this, it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be within God's will than to suffer for doing evil. We bear little risk of persecution or physical death in following God. But we can face slander, derision, social rejection from friends, from family, even from believers, when we seek to do good, love humbly, and forgive generously, when we step out in faith and follow. It is better, First Peter tells us, to bear this dishonor faithfully and keep on keeping on regardless, to not lose sight of our goal and to keep doing the good he has called us to do. Listening, following the voice of conscience. For while we may bear embarrassment or rejection for acting with integrity, much better we experience shame now than be confronted with the shame of having shunned God's voice when he comes to judge the world. Yes, some days it seems like for a moment that injustice is winning or, or darkness abounding. Evil may win a battle here or there, but it has already irrevocably lost the war. Christ is on the throne. All powers are at his feet. There is nothing but him to fear. So do good. Fear God and maintain a good conscience, and so await the day of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.